Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Seth. I'm the youth pastor here. I know a lot of you don't know me. Uh, I grew up in Raceland. We don't really race a lot there. Well, I probably did. Don't, don't tell my parents. They're right here. Uh, but for those of you who don't know where Raceland is, it's like 10 miles from Thibodeau, 10 miles from Homa, well, 15 miles from Homa. It's, it's like the small town around the other small city things, not really. It's like around like three Walmarts, but that's, that's really the biggest thing we've got. Uh, that's what I grew up with, and uh, in that, uh, I really felt like when I was 16, God had called me to go to Bible college. So I had enrolled in uh, SAGU, uh, Southwestern Assemblies of God University, and Southwestern Assemblies of God University is in a place called Waxahachie, Texas. So that sounds like it could be a small town, right? So, so it'd be comfortable, it'd be cool, it'd be easy, right? So I'm like, I'm going to Waxahachie, Texas. Uh, or, or I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do Waxahachie, Texas's online Bible college thing, right? No, God had other plans. So I ended up going to Crossroads Master's Commission, got my Bible college degree, uh, in youth ministry over there in Lafayette, and Lafayette's a lot bigger than Raceland. It, it really is. It's it's crazy. Uh, and back home, whenever I was growing up, bear with me, I've got a, a little bit of a chest congestion thing going on, but growing up, everything that I thought was fun was in the woods, and there's not a whole lot of woods out here uh, in Lafayette, Louisiana, you know, riding four-wheelers, shooting guns, uh, things like that. you got to get outside of the city to be able to do that stuff. Uh, so, but my perspective was, well, I'm going to Bible college, and hopefully it's fun, you know, uh, because racing was fun. You know, riding four-wheelers and shooting guns and, and doing all those things was fun. But coming here, I didn't know that I could have fun in the city. You know, it was it was different, but... You know, you get you get different hobbies and, and you adapt and you uh, get accustomed to different things. And uh, today I want to look at a verse of scripture, uh, Hebrews 12, 12, or 12, 1 through 2, uh, which reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, our race can sometimes look like a cross-country race. Our race, for the most part, usually isn't a sprint. You know, it's at, it's at least a long race. And I've never, I've never run a marathon. The most I've ever run straight was three miles. But it's not easy. Uh, three miles of, uh, is one of those mind over matter things because because after about a mile and a half, I felt like, well, man, like my feet hurt, my back hurts, my knees hurt, and I'm only 22, so you know, like 
But even, even still, like a mile and a half will get you worn out. And three miles, at that point, you're just going, just to go. And you're not even really, like, trying at that point. You're just, you're just thinking about, I've got to keep going. And I would imagine that's how doing a marathon would be or doing a cross-country race would be. Maybe cross-country is a little more fun because they change it up. But I, it doesn't sound like fun to me. Um, but, you know, you, you, you don't get into, you just get into this rut. And you just get into uh, the mindset of, I've just got to keep running. And it, it's good to run your race. But, but what I want to talk about today is having the perspective of running it for God. Uh, so... I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which reads, Until the end, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. And and I want to, it says let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. But what if we run with love? You know, like, if if at the end, our prize is heaven, well, can can we have heaven here on earth? You know, that's what, that's what Jesus taught us to pray for, was pray for here as it is in heaven. So, can we let love be what we run with? So, how many of you know it's usually easier to run somewhat, someone else's race than your own? It's easier to, to coach somebody, oh, you just run and, you know, you train and, and you, just, you just do this, this, and this, and you've got it. Like... You're done. You know, you, you can run that marathon easy. You know, 10 weeks, you, you run a, a half a mile, you know, the first two days, and then you run a mile the next two days, and then you take an off day. And then you run a mile the next day, and then you run two miles the next day, and then you take another off day. You know, like, it's easy to just coach somebody to do what you think is necessary to run the marathon, but it's not so easy when you're actually running the marathon, it's not so easy when you're actually in it, doing it, making it happen. So, uh, can I tell you that there's a level of endurance and perseverance in every race? Especially if it's not a sprint. Like, a sprint, you don't need, a, you don't need endurance or perseverance. But in a marathon or cross-country or, or anything that's really over a mile, there's a level of, like, serious endurance and, you know, I would hope that, you know, it'd be cool if I could live to 100, you know. But that's some endurance and some perseverance, right? Like, to be able to live to 100 and, you know, go, go through the things that, that old age can sometimes bring. Like, if you, if, you lose, if you start losing your mind and your mental ability, well, then that's, that's a level of endurance and perseverance that you've got to get past. Or... If you lose your your motor skills and you can't really walk well or get around well, you know, but you've still got all your mind. And I remember one time uh, when I was getting my wisdom teeth pulled out. And and they gave me the anesthesia through the IV and everything. And, and I remember uh, I'm in the chair and the doctor comes in. And I'm like, I'm still awake. I can still, like, hear everything, see everything. Like, I, I close my eyes. I'm like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Like, I, I, I don't want to be awake for this. And the, the, doc, the doctor wakes me up, and he's like, you're all done. And I was like, I seriously went to sleep. That's awesome. And 
And, like, I can think perfectly. Like, I had all of my mind. And they were like, we're going to go get you a wheelchair. I was like, I don't need a wheelchair. And I, I stand up. Well, I try to stand up. And I, like, flop out the chair. Because I didn't have all my motor skills because of the anesthesia they gave me. And I could only imagine, like, when I get old, like, if I get to, like, 90 years old and I can't, I can't move or, or I can't walk or whatever it is, I'm going to be pretty frustrated. There's going to be a level of endurance and perseverance that I'm going to have to have to get past that. Like, to keep on wanting to live on. To keep on wanting to do good. The Bible says don't grow weary in doing good. You know, so, and there will be obstacles in our race. You know, I think, I think our race is, is less like a marathon, more like a cross-country race or like a Tough Mudder or like a, like a, you know, one of those Spartan races or something like that because life can get crazy, but we can't quit. So, so how do you get through your race successfully? And the, the, the easiest thing and the hardest thing at the same time is focusing on Jesus. It's the easiest and the hardest thing. Because, you know, wherever our focus is, usually, like, it's hard for me to, like, like walk a straight line, like, looking to the, my left. You know, it's, it's hard for you to run a straight line if you're not looking where you're running. And, and if we don't have our focus on Jesus, it can be hard. But, but it's also easy. When we have our focus on Jesus, it's the easiest and the hardest thing. So, with that being said, it takes a, a period of time for our focus to be on a thing before we can truly change our perspective. You know, like, uh, a seed doesn't grow overnight. It takes a period of time. A, uh, a tree doesn't grow fruit overnight. It takes a period of time. And a race isn't run overnight. It takes a period of time, and the training takes a period of time. And, and we go through seasons. The Bible says there are seasons of, of growing. There are seasons of change. There are seasons of life. There are seasons, of, there's seasons that we all will see, we all will experience in, in our own lives and even in the lives of those around us. And, and that's what we, we, we all experience. There's no getting around it. So, you know what? You know what a pessimist and an optimist have in common? They both see things naturally to them, either negative or positive. It, it's, it comes natural to them. It's not a, well, I'm going to try today to be an optimist, and I'm going to see everything great. And it's not a, I'm going to try to see everything that I can possibly see negatively. It just, it, it just happens for them. And if they were to try to shift one way or the other, it would be hard for them. It wouldn't be easy. It would take some work. It would take some focus. It would take serious, serious focus for them to try to shift their focus the other way. So, can I read some more scripture to you guys? So, I want to read John 13, 34 through 35, which reads... So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. And that's Jesus talking, by the way. 
And I want to read another uh, verse, Jesus also, in Matthew 22, 36 through 39, which reads, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus answers him, Love the Lord your God with every passion in your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the greatest and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. So, with as much emphasis as Jesus puts on love, I think it would be a good start in our race for us to, to try to work with every day so to run our race in love. And, and you can't, we, we, can, we can look at the full race, and it, it would take a long time to look at every part because we, we can look at all the armor of God. We can look at, we can look at all the fruits of the Spirit. We can, we can look at all those things, and it would take me forever to go through them all. So I want to focus on love today because uh, love is one of those things that if you truly get all of it, it'll change the, it'll change the way you run your race. You know, but there, there's more parts. Don't get me wrong. There's more parts than just love. But Jesus puts a big emphasis on it in these commandments that he gives us, these new commandments. And if we look at love the way culture looks at love, then we're kind of, we're kind of lost. So I want to look at love the way the Bible looks at love today. Uh, because the way the Bible looks at love, it, it almost would be the way that culture looks at hate. You know, because the way culture looks at hate... The way culture looks at hate is, if you tell me any truth from the Bible that contradicts my lifestyle, you hate me. No, I love you. I, want, I love you so much. I want, because the love rejoices with the truth. I love you so much that I want to see you be able to live in the truth. And, and we need to begin to, to look at our own lives and the, the lives of everyone around us and be able to, to have that truth flow through us and flow in us. Because if we don't, then we end up running our race the completely wrong way. Like, there's only one truth. So everything else, we're running the way, our race the wrong way. So culture would have you believe that by loving someone, it's either going to be you give them positive comments, or you hate someone and you give them negative comments, or, or truths that deny their lifestyle. But, but when we look at when we look at love and hate in the biblical way, it's easy for us to see that there can be, you know, bad perspectives that are taken from love that is given. There, there, it, there's easy, it can easily be perceived with a bad perspective that your love is hatred towards me. It, it could. And we need to begin to embrace the truth and get a new perspective. And we need to try to give a new perspective for, for the people around us so they can receive what we have to give. Because what we have to give is more important than their offense. What we have to give is more important than their hurts. So, we're going to look at this scripture and... Love is complex in the scripture. You know, it's not just love as in, I love this person like a relationship. Or 
I love this person, and I'm going to give them positive comments, like our culture would tell us. But we can, we can begin to look at it on our complex level when we actually dig into the scriptures. So, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 reads, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And with that being said, you know, if, if, if we're going to be known as disciples by our love, then with, with that scripture, if we can put that scripture back on the screen, uh, with that scripture being read, First uh, Corinthians 13, when we look at that, we can easily examine our lives and say, was I patient with that last person that I came in contact with? Like, was I known because I was patient as a disciple? Was I known as kind towards that last person that really kind of just got in my way at Walmart and held me up? Or did I, like, really envy what they have? Not, not because they have more of the spirit, but because of their, like, physical possessions? Or did I envy the, the relationship that they had? Or, or did I... Did I did I boast too much in front of those people? Like, was I was I too too boastful in anything but Christ? Was I was I was I too proud like of, of that thing I did last week? You know, and we we can go through this scripture and uh, and we can see what love we can break down love even more than just the way culture breaks down love as positive comments or a relationship or or things like that. And we can begin to compare our lives and the way that we interact with others to be able to see, am I loving? Am I going to be known as a disciple, as loving because of the way that I interacted with people? You know, did I, did I rejoice in the truth when it went forward, even though it offended somebody? Did I, did I begin to be easily angered whenever I was in a rush? You know, did I get road rage the other day? You know, because, you know, it's easy to, to have the fish on the back of your car, but it's harder to not honk your horn at the person in front of you. You know, it, like, like when we begin to really break down love and we begin to have a new perspective of, of what love is, then we can begin to walk in love towards other people. But it's harder to, to walk in love when, we're letting culture to define love for us. And we can also, there's other areas of scripture besides this one. The, the verse before it says uh, that we can do amazing things and, and things of, of, of God and we can do kind things and we can, we can do them all well and they can seem like they're so nice but if we really didn't have love then we're like a clinging symbol, or we did it all for nothing. You know, and that's the paraphrase version. You know, you can read it right before it's the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but, but with that being said, uh, we've got we to gotta intentionally love. You know, we got to intentionally begin to shift our perspective and not just, you know, take part of it and say, well, 
I'm going to not be proud and I'm not going to do anything but rejoice in the truth. But if you leave out the rest of it, well, did you really love? You know, we got, we've got to get all the love and we got to, we've got to begin to, to do it right. Like we've got to not let culture keep us from, from putting out the truth. Like if they're offended, we've got to still have the truth. Like if our culture begins to allow walls to be put up that we follow, we've got a problem. You know, if, if our truth is hate to them, you know, and I hope it wouldn't be, and I would pray it wouldn't be, you know, but if that truth for us is love, but if that same truth is hate towards them, we need to begin to pray for them, you know, because, because we need to, we need to break down that wall. It's not just a, well, I'm going to, I'm going to love them in spite of them. No, I want to love them because I want to love them. It's, it's got, it's got to be because of love. That's got to be our motivation. That's got to be our perspective. Not a, well, I'm going to, I'm going to love them because the Bible says so. It it defeats the purpose. We're, We're going back to a clanging symbol and doing it all for nothing you know you don't that's part of love is not doing things in spite of part of love is doing things because of love so and there's so many other verses we could look at that that speak on love but we can look at the life of jesus you know we can we can begin to look at the life of jesus because because god is love right amen god is love so we can begin to look at the life of Jesus. And when we look at uh, the way Jesus instructs us in Matthew 22 uh, to, to love our brothers, love our neighbors, love, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, we can begin to, to look at the, the perspective Jesus had on love. We can begin to look at, you know, all the areas that he covered in those, in those commandments. And we can see that Jesus had a love for God. You know, even though it was himself, it, it wasn't himself. Like, it was, it's the Trinity, and, and that's more complex. That's a whole other sermon. But, but Jesus loved God. And, and he didn't always like the situation God had for him. You know, like, he's in the garden, right? Uh, the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, God, if you can take this cup from me, take it. You know, he didn't always like the situation he had for God, but what, what, what he cared about more and what, what he, he loved God so much that he said, your will be done. Like, no matter what, your will be done. You know, like, if we could all go through life and just say, God, have your way in my life, your will be done, no matter what. And, and the people around us could say, God, your will be done, no matter what. This would be a perfect world. It would be great. You know, it, it'd be, it'd be amazing. Like, I, I can't even imagine it. It'd be so great. Uh, but that's why we're the, we're the church, you know? So we've got to, we've got to do it first. Not just the people around us, but we've got, we've got to begin to, to have that attitude first of God, your will be done. And then pray that it overflows to the people around you that you interact with. And then we can look at uh, 
Actually, I want to look at Philippians 2.8 real quick. And Jesus replied, Loving me empowers you to obey my word. And my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. But those who don't love me will not obey my words. The Father did not send me to speak of my own revelation, but the words of my Father. Actually, that was John 14, 23 through 24. Uh, Philippians 2.8 reads, And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God. And when that caused his death, death on a cross, that, like, fully obedient even to death. Like, I don't, I, don't, I mean, I guess if, if God called me to, to do it, I would do it, I don't, but that's a different situation, you know, but I would hope I'd do it. I, I honestly, I honestly hope that I would do it, uh, but we need to be, begin to be willing because of our love for God, not because of anything else. You know, we, we go back to doing things because we're nothing. So, and then we can look at in those commandments in Matthew 22, we can look at the way Jesus loved others. And when we begin to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, our time with God, uh, and our time with God and the fruits of the Spirit, people will begin to recognize that. You know, uh, people will begin to recognize his disciples by their love. And, you know, I love that the fruits of the Spirit, when we look at most of them, when we look at most of them, they're for the most part the same as what First Corinthians breakdown love is. Because oh, oh, like, there's like half of the fruits of the Spirit that overlap with half of what Paul writes in First Corinthians 13, that love is, you know, love is patient, you know. Fruit of the Spirit, patience, it, it overlaps, you know. But when we look at the fruits of the Spirit, like, love is one of them. And they, it, it, like, almost overlaps, like, it almost encompasses, like, half of the fruits of the Spirit right there. You know, and for, for me to say that, I believe that what Paul was trying to write was, you can't have just one of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, from the spirit without all of them you know we need we need to begin to walk in those fruits you know because people judge a fruit tree by its fruit like you're not going to walk up to an orange tree and say oh that's an apple tree like it doesn't make sense like for you to walk up to uh, a pear tree and then hope that next season it produces lemons it doesn't it doesn't work like that. If you if you do have a tree that does that, it's probably broken. <laughs> it really like that's the best way I can describe it. Is it's broken, because <laughs> or it's a it's a miracle. Like you had to have prayed hard over that tree for God to get it to to produce the the wrong fruit. <laughs> but that's how we're that's how we're judged as as Christians in, in a dark world. We're we're judged by our fruits, we're judged by our love, we're judged by the light we bring, we ju- we're judged by, you know, uh, are we, we assault with a, sa- uh, a savory flavor still, 
You know, like, how are we interacting with the world around us? So, Jesus has, has said in this commandment, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's easy to tell the difference between the apple and the orange tree, and your fruit should be the same as the fruits of the Spirit. So, with that being said, your neighbor should be able to see that you're his disciple. Your neighbor should begin to see that you love them the way that love is supposed to be. You're, you love them the way that God has called you to love them. You, But your neighbor should also see that you love yourself. You know, like, if, if you don't love yourself, then you can't love your neighbor. At, like, you can't truly love your neighbor if you don't even love yourself. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a tough thing because... You know, I, I cannot love myself because, you know, there's things out there like bad self-esteem. There's there's things out there like anxiety and depression. And and maybe you're the kind of person that you, you actually legitimately like to put others first. And you cannot love yourself and love your neighbor more than yourself. Or, you know, vice versa, you can you can love yourself and you, you not love your neighbor. But, but both ways, we need to realign ourselves with God's word, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we need to begin to take care of ourselves and, and begin to spend time in God's presence and in God's word. Because that's when we see who we were created to be. So, with that being said, uh, Jesus came and he, he changed situations by stepping into them with truth, forgiveness, provision, and healing. And he's got all of that for you, and he's got all of that for your neighbor too. So, Jesus, by Jesus instructing us to love others as ourselves, we've got we've to learn to love ourselves first. You know, we've got we to gotta learn to accept that truth. We've got to learn to accept that forgiveness for ourselves and that, that healing and that provision so we can give it to others. And... And we need to know that, that we are loved by God just as much as the person next to you. No matter what you've done, been through, or where you're at in your race, you, you've got to experience God's love for yourself first. Or you won't be able to show it to the people around you. And, you know, I've, I've come across many people that, that they like to help others. They like, they really do like, like to help others, and they really do want to show, well, well, God's done this in me, and God, so I want to do it for somebody else. And I really, I really think that they meant well, but it's like there was a lack of relationship with God in their own lives, and there was a lack of, I'm doing this because God loves, like, because I, I love God, you know? And I really want to, I want to begin to shift our perspective to intentionally love. Not, not just, not just love because I can do this because I have this. Not just, but like fully love, like, like all of it. Like every, every bit that, 
that Jesus is. Like, Jesus gave because he, God gave his son because he loved. So, okay, I'm going to give because God loved. I'm going to, I'm going to begin to love because Paul says this is what love is. I'm going to begin to, and then once we can fully encompass love, we can, we can begin to really be disciples. And then when we can begin to fully be disciples, we can begin to, to recreate disciples. And, and, that, and that's when the Great Commission beca- begins to, to happen because the, we're, we're challenged with go out and make disciples. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.